So if you have your Bible, please go with me to Revelation chapter 1. We'll be looking at the first three verses this morning by way of introduction into this book, the book of Revelation. I trust the Lord will bless our time in this. We'll be here for a while. It is a little bit longer. There is a lot to cover, but I believe it will be an encouragement and uh, to you as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let us read Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. This is God's Word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for its truth. May you impress it upon our hearts and our lives. May your spirit attend to its proclamation as it goes forth and use it as a means of strengthening the faith of your people and calling to new faith those who are outside the camp of your people and give them new life as they turn in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. Encourage us all by the grace of the gospel now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many people really do not like the book of Revelation. Maybe you're one of those people, and I understand that. I mean, it seems kind of weird. It seems scary and fanciful. You read about seven-headed monsters and fire coming down from heaven to consume nations, powerful earthquakes, the sun turning black, the moon turning to blood, locusts with human faces and women's hair and lion's teeth and scorpion's tails. You read in Revelation of dragons and serpents and vials of wrath and bottomless pits. And it sounds more like science fiction or a fantasy movie from some nightmarish imagination. The stuff of myth and legends than it does of Scripture. And even Christians would admit we struggle with the book of Revelation. I mean, some fail to see any... Uh, relevance of it to the church today. And others take a futurist approach and they interpret it as this uh, great future event that will bring terrible destruction upon the world. And still others try to read into Revelation what they see in the current headlines to try to explain what is happening in the world and if you find yourself, as a Christian, having a hard time with the book of Revelation, well, you are not alone. Even great theologians in church history have had a difficult time with it. Martin Luther was so distraught with the book of Revelation that he argued that perhaps it should be removed from the Bible, complaining that Christ is neither taught nor known in it. Now, thankfully, Luther's view changed the more he matured in his faith and studied scriptures. 
But all of this misunderstanding about the book of Revelation is rather unfortunate because Revelation is not meant uh, to be obscure or confusing in any way. And Revelation, contrary to what is probably popular in evangelical circles, is actually more about the present than it is the future. And it certainly is not about the latest headline or disaster that you see in the world. Revelation is meant to be an encouragement to the church. It's meant to be God's witness to us about what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do to fulfill His purposes to redeem a covenant people for His name. You see, the big idea of the whole book of Revelation is this, is that Revelation was written for the joy of God's people so that they may continue to follow Jesus faithfully in this world by resting in His victory over all sin and evil. To put it another way, Revelation is God's great unveiling of Christ as a glorious witness to the church and to the world for the pouring out of His gracious blessing upon His people. And so as we're introduced to this book of Revelation this morning, those are three things we will consider. A great unveiling, a glorious witness, and a gracious blessing. And all of that combines for your joy if you belong to Jesus Christ. So first of all, this great unveiling. John begins by telling us that he is writing concerning a revelation. And of course, that word translated as revelation is apocalypsis uh, in Greek, which we say, we say in English as apocalypse. And many people, when they hear that word apocalypse, they usually associate it with some terrible disaster. Right, An earthquake that levels a city, a volcanic eruption, a deadly virus that spreads across the globe. All of these have been described as an apocalypse. Or you'll hear of weather forecasters speak of some apocalyptic storm. And then you're disappointed because really it wasn't and you were hoping for something big. Or you read of fictional accounts of a zombie apocalypse, right? And so you're tempted then to think, well, apocalypse means disaster, a terrible disaster. But that is actually not what that word means at all. It does not mean disaster. It simply means to reveal or to disclose that which was previously hidden. It is an unveiling, a pulling back of that proverbial curtain so you can see something and understand something and know something that you did not know before. And so the intention in the book of Revelation is not to hide things or make things confusing or obscure behind symbolism and fantastic images, even though it does have symbolism, and we'll consider that in a minute, but the purpose of all that symbolism and all this fanciful images that we see is to unveil, to expose, to reveal to us knowledge that God wants us to know. And what does the book of Revelation unveil? It unveils Jesus Christ. John tells us that. He says this is the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. Those words are both the title of the book, but also the content of it. They tell us what the last book of the Bible is all about, and it's all about Jesus Christ being unveiled to his church and to the world. It's not about World War III or some despotic dictator that's going to rise up and bring about a new world order. It's not about uh, some sort of code that needs to be unlocked in order to understand what is going to happen in the future so we can be better prepared. But it's about Jesus and what he has done for you. You see, God is the one who pulls back this veil to show us what he has done and what he is doing. And he is doing that through Christ Jesus, the Son. And that is God's grace to us. He doesn't leave us in the dark wondering, well, what is going on in the world? What is God doing right now? After all, Scripture is complete. It ended with the book of Revelation. God gave us everything we need to know about him. You see, the book of Revelation is a letter from God to the church, just like all the other letters you read in the New Testament. It's intended to be relevant to its readers, just like Paul's epistles or James and Peter and John's letters. And to whom was this letter of Revelation addressed? What did the church at large And the immediate audience in John's generation, it was to a church that was seeking relief and hope amidst ongoing persecution. And so John writes in order to give hope to a group of beleaguered believers living in a world that was hostile and oppressive towards the gospel of Christ. And if you are a believer, Revelation then Today is meant to encourage you by showing you that God is now at work in the world despite what you might see happening. That no matter how dark it might be at this current moment in history, God is still there. And Jesus has already overcome all sin and evil and suffering. Yes, revelation is God's great unveiling of Jesus Christ to you. Jesus is unveiled as a loving bridegroom who died for his bride, the church, so that she might be washed clean of every stain of sin. Jesus is revealed or unveiled to you as the lamb who was slain but is now risen and reigns over heaven and earth, triumphant, having conquered sin and death. Jesus is unveiled as the one who alone is worthy of all the worship of both heaven and earth. For he is the sovereign Lord over all history. And Jesus is unveiled as the one who sits on God's judgment throne to bless those who rest in him and bring God's curse upon those who refuse him. But not only is the book of Revelation a letter that unveils to us the person of Jesus, we're told here in these opening verses that it is also a book of prophecy. John says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 2. What is going on in Daniel chapter 2? Well, what you see there 
in Daniel the prophet, is an unfolding of four kingdoms that would come to be. Four worldly powers, empires, that would rise up according to God's sovereign plan that he is uh, writing across history. Those kingdoms, of course, are Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. And they would rise up in succession, toppling one another, which is exactly how history has unfolded since the time of Daniel. And we're told that eventually God would overcome all earthly powers with his own kingdom, and that would begin during the reign of that fourth kingdom, which is Rome. And so Daniel 2:44, we read this, and in those days, the kings, uh, uh, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Daniel is prophesying there of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that would come up in the days of those kings, which kings, particularly Rome. And he says, Daniel says, that that would happen in the latter days. So from Daniel's perspective, he wouldn't live to see Rome. He lived during Babylon and medial Persia. But there would come a kingdom, and during that powerful kingdom's reign, that earthly kingdom, would come the kingdom of heaven. And it would come because a baby would be born who is Christ the king to establish his kingdom. But then John picks up on that. We come back into Revelation 1, and he says that these things of which Daniel spoke must soon take place, meaning that there is an imminent final fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy that is to happen. In other words, he's talking about the full completion of that prophecy, that that kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, will be fully and finally established. But from John's perspective, it's already begun. Why is that? Because it began during the Roman Empire. It began during John's day, and John bore witness to that. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John is writing of a kingdom that has begun, but is not yet complete. That's what we mean when we speak of Christ's kingdom being understood as an already, but not yet. It's already here. Christ has come once. He was born he lived amongst us. He died. He rose. And then he ascended. His kingdom is here, but it's not done yet. He's still building it. And it will completely be completed imminently, meaning that's simply the next thing on God's calendar. Jesus just has to come back, and that's it. Redemption is complete. And it is of this that John writes. And what that means then is that this book of Revelation is so very relevant for us as it was for the people of John's day. Because we live in that already, just as John did. We live in that kingdom. We live in the victory of the Lamb. 
and his kingdom is continuing to grow and conquer this world and bring it under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ as people are one to the truth and they trust Jesus through faith and repentance. So we understand then that Revelation is not some futurist vision of a great tragedy, but a very present description of what is already happening under Christ's reign in the world today. Revelation is a prophecy, but it is a prophecy that is already fulfilled, but not yet complete. And the purpose of that prophecy, or the purpose of all prophecy in the Bible, is not to satisfy our human curiosity for the future or our insatiable hunger for knowledge of what is going to happen in the world. But prophecy is designed to call us to repentance. It's designed to say, hey, God is at work in this world. Follow him. That's what this great unveiling of Jesus Christ is all about. It's a call to the church to find their comfort in Christ and press on faithfully serving him because we know that in the end, Jesus wins. Because he's already won. That's the great unveiling of the book of Revelation. But Revelation is also a glorious witness. So look again to verses 1 and 2. John writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So in the Bible, for a matter to be considered true, it was required that there would be at least two witnesses to it. So if you said this has happened, this particular event, there needed to be at least two witnesses. That's exactly what we have here in Revelation 1 and 2. John says that God sent to him an angel. And of course, this took place while John was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And the angel is said to have borne witness to the word of of God. The angel, like a witness in a courtroom, lays out all the evidence of what God was doing for John to see. He had a firsthand authentication of the ongoing spread of Christ the Lamb's kingdom across the world. That was one witness. And the second witness was Jesus himself. John heard and saw the very testimony of Jesus Christ. He who is the way and the truth and the life verified that all that is recorded here in Revelation is absolute truth. John, of course, was an apostle of Jesus. And so he writes with apostolic authority. The apostles were those who were chosen by God to confirm his truth, the truth of the gospel. Apostles were those who knew Christ personally. That is to say, the apostles walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They spoke with Jesus. They knew him like nobody else. 
And how well did John know Jesus? Well, John, we see in the Bible, is called the beloved disciple who sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. John was the only apostle who did not flee during the crucifixion, but was there till the end. John was entrusted by Jesus to care for Jesus' own mother Mary as Jesus hung dying on the cross. John was the first of the disciples to see the empty tomb and the first to believe and bear witness to the resurrection of Christ. And it was through John that the Word of God concerning all that Christ is doing is recorded for us here in Revelation. And so the glorious witness then uh, is Revelation revealing what God is doing. It is God Himself telling us this. And this witness, of course, came to John by way of visions. Now typically, when you look in the Bible and it talks about the Word of God being revealed, it frames that in the language of words and of hearing and of speaking, of listening. But Revelation is a bit different. Here, when it talks about the Word of God, it frames it around the language of seeing and perceiving. We're invited to look at this and to wonder at the truth that is being painted before us. And so John writes with this very vivid imagery. Indeed, the language of the book of Revelation is largely symbolic. And that's important to recognize because it means uh, that we don't interpret this book literally. You interpret symbols symbolically. Now, John received literal visions, but the symbols are meant to portray something else. And that's how we must understand them. So when you read of this dragon or locusts with human heads and scorpion tails, that is a symbol. It is an image. You don't have to worry about it. When you see a grasshopper, it's not going to sting you like a scorpion. It's true of the numbers as well. They are symbolic. They are not literal numbers. For example, the number seven is a symbol of completion. A thousand years does not mean a literal 1,000 years. It is simply a duration of time. The number 666 is not to be considered the literal mark of the beast so that if you see it written somewhere, like on an address, you don't have to think, well, this is a satanic temple at this address. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They're all representative of something else. But why use symbols? Why speak in this way? Well, again, the purpose is to show us something, to show us what Christ is doing in the world. They're meant to impress us with the grandeur of all that is Christ and to give us a sense of awe at His power and His beauty and His might so that we might worship Him. We think of Revelation like an art gallery. You go to an art gallery and there's various exhibitions and they're meant to inspire you, to fill you with wonder. And those various paintings, those images are supposed to tell you something that the artist wants you to know. They either communicate a story or maybe a thought, an idea, a concept. And so as you look at them, that thought, that idea is supposed to capture your mind as you meditate and ponder upon it. 
That's the idea of these symbols. They are designed to communicate something to you about Jesus and the great true story of redemption that he is accomplishing as the victorious Lamb of God. And even the descriptions of Christ in the book of Revelation are symbolic. They are not literal. And so when you read of Jesus appearing dressed in white and riding on a white horse, that's not necessarily what he looks like physically. But those words, those word pictures, are meant to show us something else. You see, Jesus' glory isn't found in his physical appearance. His glory is found in his being and in his actions, in who he is and in what he does. That's what those images are meant to convey. And it is why the response of those who bear witness to it in the book of Revelation burst forth in some of the greatest expressions of worship and praise you will find in the Bible. Indeed, Revelation feels like a New Testament version of the book of Psalms. You see here in Revelation that Christ is praised as the Lord God who created all things. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, Jesus is praised as the one who died to save his people. Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And Jesus is praised as the great judge over his creation that will bring about his holy justice upon those who continue to do evil and not turn to him in faith and repentance. Revelation eleven seventeen. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And so the book of Revelation then is this glorious witness to you, full of vivid detail of all that is Christ and all that he is doing. It preaches to the church the image of Christ that we are supposed to see, not his physical appearance, but to see him with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of our heart, his glory on display as our creator, our redeemer, and our king. And it leads us then to ask the question of, well, why then? Why is the book of Revelation this great unveiling of Christ and this glorious witness to Christ? And the answer is that Revelation is meant to be a gracious blessing to you. This book was written for your joy. Joy in the midst of all your sorrows and sufferings and problems of life. It's helpful again to consider the original audience of the book of Revelation. And historically, it was written to a church suffering through persecution, which was on the rise at that time. And churches were beginning to wonder if they had somehow missed something when it came to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I mean, why is Jesus 
the king, or how can he be king if the kingdoms of this earth are putting to death the saints and there are so many martyrs? Why are the apostles being imprisoned, put to death, or sent into exile like John? Some were beginning to abandon their faith. Some were beginning to compromise to the world and bow to the powers of the earth in order to preserve their lives. And we'll see some of that as uh, John writes of these seven letters to seven churches. You see, he writes to answer these questions, to answer them with the greatness of Christ. And he lays out for us this great conflict that exists between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the world. As we see that Jesus has already won. And even those martyrs who were slain in his name already enjoy their rest in Christ. And they will come with him when he completes that kingdom to proclaim his victory over all the world. And so yes, Revelation is meant to be a gracious blessing and encouragement to the church but also a warning to those who would be tempted to turn away from following Jesus in the midst of hardships and sufferings. And so John says, be faithful. Be faithful to follow the Lamb who is already on the march and will soon bring His kingdom to completion. This gracious blessing is summarized for us in verse 3 of our text. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Notice there are three actions associated with this blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep what is written. Or to put it another way, you are blessed when you proclaim these words, perceive these words, and preserve these words. Now, to read aloud is to proclaim. It's to declare this truth that is revealed for us concerning Christ so that others might hear it and might know what God has said. Of course, this is the essence of preaching. But it is also simply declaring and announcing to the world who God is, who Christ is, what He is doing. It's sharing the reality of your redemption and the victory that God has won over sin and Satan and death. And it's reflected in the way you live and what you say, what you confess, and how you practice your faith. Secondly, to perceive these words is to hear with understanding to hear with knowledge, to know and to believe what God is doing, to understand that Christ has come, that He has died, that He has risen, and that He is coming again. And to confess these with all of your heart and soul and mind regarding God and His truth. And to preserve these words is to guard them, to keep them, to avoid error in both faith and practice, to continue on faithfully in what we know to be true, to worship this Christ who is already va uh, victorious through word and sacrament and celebrate his kingdom 
on the Lord's day. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. So then what's the big takeaway for you and I? What does it mean for you right now in this moment? Well, what it means is this, is that whatever you are facing, whatever struggles you might be having with sin in your life, with suffering, with relationships, you can be absolutely confident that those situations are not what defines you. Whatever you are suffering, whatever you might be struggling through, whatever is clouding your mind or filling you with anxiety, that is not what defines you if you belong to Jesus. Because your story is part of a much bigger story. You are part of God's redeeming work through Jesus, the victorious Lamb. And through him, all your sin and all your sorrow and all your suffering, it's already found its answer in him. And so that cancer that you might be dealing with, while it is hard, it's not the final period on your life. Jesus is. And that sorrow and that grief that you might be carrying in your heart, you can be assured because of the book of Revelation, because Christ has been revealed, because he is a witness to you of God's truth, because he has God's gracious blessing to you, you can be assured that all that sorrow and that suffering meets its end in Jesus. And that sin that you as a Christian struggle with and you want to have removed from your life, you can be assured that it can be and it will be because Jesus has already died and risen and defeated that sin. And so follow him. Be blessed. Know joy by knowing Christ that has been revealed, unveiled for you. And follow him through that sunshine and the sorrow, because he has been victorious over all sin and evil. Yes, Christ is the great unveiling, and he is this great witness to you, and he is a great blessing to you. So follow him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that you do reveal these things to us, that we are not left in the dark to make our own way and stumble about, wondering what is happening, what you are doing, but we can with complete confidence rest in your sovereign prerogatives, knowing that you are at work and we can be at peace trusting you. And so help us to believe these things and in believing to live these things so the world might see that Christ is the answer to all our sins and sorrowing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.